Founded more than 40 years ago, Genentech is a leading biotechnology company that discovers and develops medicines to treat patients with serious and life-threatening medical conditions. To help address the devastating impact of COVID-19, Genentech and its parent company, Roche, have developed two diagnostic tests, launched five clinical trials, and are supporting more than 20 investigator-initiated studies assessing six of the company's medicines. For more information, visit gene.com COVID-19. Hello, Pulse Check listeners. This is Dan Diamond, and welcome to our special Pulse Check series on the coronavirus outbreak. Today, I'm in conversation with my colleagues Mohana Ravindranath from Politico's health team and Jeremy Siegel, host of our daily podcast, Dispatch, looking at how the pandemic is reshaping the telehealth industry. Here's our conversation. Do you guys want to hear a cool story? Sure. I think we have to. <laughs> <laughs> so I was running recently outside of Washington, D.C. Um, was pretty far into the run, so not really paying attention to a lot around me. But I ran past this couple. Um, There's a woman in front and a man behind. Uh, the guy was on the phone. He was wearing sunglasses. I waved at them. Um, she didn't wave back, but he did really kindly. And then like five seconds after I passed them, guess who I realized it was? You're going to have to tell us. Is there a healthcare connection? <laughs> there is. And it was the one and only, at least I'm 99% sure I didn't get a chance to ask him. He was on the phone. Tony Fauci. Thank you very much. It's really <clears throat> a great pleasure to be here for a number of reasons. Wow. Fauci in the wild. <laughs> was he wearing a mask? He was not wearing a mask, actually, but I'm, I'm going to give him a pass here. Um, he, he he was on the phone and it, it was outside pretty socially distant. So um, I, I think we can give him a pass. <laughs> <laughs> so here is a transition that I hope you both find amusing. Well, I saw Fauci on his telephone. Mohana, you've been reporting on telehealth. <laughs> I have. <laughs> Jeremy, that's <laughs> I admire it. I admire it. It's it's a good try. <laughs> so what exactly is telehealth and what was the state of it before COVID? So telehealth's kind of an umbrella term for using technology to translate what we think of as the traditional in-person doctor's visit. So often we think of video chatting with your doctor or talking to your doctor on the phone instead of uh, actually being in the exam room with them. And uh, during the pandemic, we've seen this really huge uptick in virtual visits as lockdown orders have taken effect. Before the pandemic, it was not as common. Um, it's something that a lot of commercial insurers were were pushing, but um, when it came to Medicare, coverage was pretty limited. So it's something that um, a lot of doctors were aware of. Patients were not as much on board. They, they hadn't really been as familiar with it as they are now. How exactly does a telehealth visit work? Like, what is sort of the step-by-step -step process of working with a doctor over the phone or over video call? Doctors traditionally tried to replicate what they would do in person. So they might ask you questions about why you're here. Um, if there's something that they can observe over the, the video camera, they'll ask you to, to show it to them. So let's say it's a dermatology appointment. They might ask you to hold the phone up or, or the, the computer up to uh, 
a rash, something like this. Um, other times, if it's like a behavioral health visit, it might just be like a Skype call. You know, it might just be a conversation. But the general theme is that doctors are, are trying to replicate as much as they can the in-person visit, just sort of translated to an online setting. So you mentioned that the use of telehealth has skyrocketed during the coronavirus pandemic. I imagine that's not exactly an easy feat. You know, we're all used to going into the doctor's offices, seeing these people in person. How exactly has it worked that people have switched to it? It's been rocky. (laughs) Um, For some health clinics, uh, they weren't set up to make this transition. And so they had to look to free tools. So things like FaceTime and Skype, these kind of consumer products that all of us use already to talk to our friends or or to have work meetings. Um, Some health clinics sort of had to look to those to be able to transition all their patients online on very short notice as these lockdown orders took effect. The larger health systems were were better equipped to make this transition. Um, a lot of them had the technology already. That It was just a question of sort of turning it on. So how well that transition has worked is really varied depending on the health system. But, you know, for the most part, I think what doctors are telling me is that, that a lot of patients really like it. Uh, but what they're also telling me is that it's kind of expensive to set up a system that, that really lasts um, and a system that, that can accommodate 100% of visits. So, so I think uh, some health systems are kind of struggling to see how this is going to last beyond the pandemic. The Trump administration has removed some barriers to make it easier for telehealth during the pandemic, right? Yes. I've heard from telehealth advocates that they've seen more changes, more advancements in the past couple of months than they have in the past several years. So the pandemic has really provided sort of a, um, the impetus for major changes that that virtual care advocates have been looking for. Um, the Trump administration has relaxed uh, some barriers to payment. So Medicare is now paying for more virtual visits than they ever did. Um, and states are also taking action. They are relaxing some restrictions on licensing so that doctors can practice across state lines. So uh, tons and tons of changes. I think it's something like, you know, somewhere in the 30s um, w- when we think about the number of policy changes that have taken effect um, over the past few months. Dan, can you contextualize this? I mean, it seems sort of surprising in some ways that the Trump administration is easing the use of Medicare funds for things like this. How does this fit more broadly into our nation's response to the pandemic and the Trump administration specifically's response? Well, I I might push back on the question about it being surprising because telehealth is a rare issue in healthcare where Democrats, Republicans, the healthcare industry, they all tend to be singing from the same script book. They they all want telehealth for pretty similar reasons. There are seniors who could benefit from getting access to care that they don't have to get in the car to go see, especially during the pandemic. There are doctors and, and hospitals that are looking to support their financing and to get some of the backlog and visits that have built up over the pandemic, get some of them out of the way. And then I also think there are lawmakers who for a long time have wanted to see the changes that, as Mohana laid out, have come so quickly in the past couple months. But I do agree it's surprising and that the Trump administration's response to the pandemic in the early weeks was so bad, was so scattered, that when, in the middle of March, an official named Seema Verma, the administrator of Medicare and some other programs, announced this flexibility around telehealth. And so under the president's leadership, we have extensively Um, expanded the use of telehealth to deal with the coronavirus. That was seen as truly one of the first universally praised moves by the administration in responding to the pandemic. 
And Verma has signaled that she wants this to continue past the pandemic, that this should not be a temporary fix, but a path forward for how healthcare gets delivered. Mohana, do you think that it will continue to follow that path, that this is a change that we'll continue to see over the coming months and years? We're getting really strong signals from the administration that it will. We are hearing also from many healthcare providers, not all of them, that uh, this is something they hope to implement long term. The question remains as to what changes they're going to make permanent. So Seema Verma recently uh, wrote an op-ed in Health Affairs and indicated that CMS is really reevaluating what are the limits on payment for for telehealth. Um, We're getting strong signals from Congress as well that lawmakers really see it as a way to get their constituents care, especially if they're in rural areas that that don't have um, a, a ton of doctors in the area. So this is something that a lot of lawmakers agree on. And the question remains, how are they going to implement this long term? How are they going to make some of these changes that we've seen in the past few months permanent? And Jeremy, Mohan and I are mentioning Seema Verma. A person who might not be unfamiliar to regular listeners of Dispatch or the Pulse Check podcast, we just talked about her last week because she's been in the spotlight over how she administered taxpayer funds on publicity contracts. That's a black mark on her resume in the Trump administration. Telehealth, I think, is the complete opposite. This is probably the strongest thing that she's done in terms of universal approval, praise from both sides of the political aisle. And it's not surprising as we watch CMS to see Seema Verma, to see the Trump administration really play this up as a big win, because frankly, it is. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back in a minute after a message from our sponsor. Founded more than 40 years ago, Genentech is a leading biotechnology company that discovers and develops medicines to treat patients with serious and life-threatening medical conditions. To help address the devastating impact of the coronavirus pandemic, Genentech and its parent company Roche have developed two diagnostic tests, launched five clinical trials, and are supporting more than 20 investigator-initiated studies assessing six of the company's medicines in COVID-19. In addition, Genentech and the Genentech Foundation are providing $42 million to support emergency response grants, as well as funds for longer-term recovery efforts to mitigate ongoing challenges posed by this global health crisis. For more information on how Genentech is actively responding to the global COVID-19 pandemic, visit gene.com COVID-19. It's interesting. It sort of seems like this goes to show how things are in no way black and white when it comes to healthcare and politics. And I imagine things are also not black and white when it comes to the way that telehealth actually works. I mean, Mohana, from your reporting, is it a perfect system? Does telehealth always work? Or is this sort of, you know, in the situation, say, of people in more rural communities getting access to doctors through it or during the coronavirus pandemic, are people really able to get the care that they need through telehealth? I think one of the most interesting things about the pandemic is that we're starting to see where healthcare uh, is limited. So for the past few months, we've seen some healthcare providers transition 100% of their visits online, and, and they start to see who can access the care and who can't. In rural areas, not everybody has internet, not everybody has broadband. Even in urban areas, it's possible that people don't have smartphones, they might not have data plans, they might not have access to video chat. So there's a fundamental access issue that a lot of healthcare providers are coming up upon that they didn't know about before. The other is 
I think healthcare providers are are trying to figure out where telehealth is appropriate and where it's not. I think they're finding that it really works for things like behavioral health. It works for a therapy visit. It works for dermatology. But there are some more involved procedures for which telehealth was never going to work. There are some procedures, some really in-depth examinations, even some more nuanced therapy visits where you're trying to assess a person's body language or nonverbal cues. There are things that telehealth is just never going to work for. Do you think the pandemic has in a way, force the health system, force the nation to reckon with necessary changes to the way telehealth can be used in medicine? Absolutely. I think telehealth advocates always knew that virtual care was never going to replace in-person visits. There was always going to be a demand, a need for that sort of human touch and that bedside manner. And I think what we're seeing is exactly where those limits are. Dan, what do you think this whole situation tells us about how the pandemic more broadly is reshaping health politics, health policy, health insurance, and the health industry in the U.S. I think the pandemic is forcing changes through bureaucratic red tape in a way that only tends to happen during crises. If you go back to the Great Recession and then look at the Affordable Care Act, which came out of that in part, some of the changes to Medicaid and the Medicaid expansion that at the time were so controversial, but have since become woven into the fabric of the U.S. health system. Republican governors now are defending the controversial Medicaid expansion from 10 years ago. Telehealth is a little different because it didn't have the same built-in oppositional group. I remember when Seema Verma was making these announcements four months ago, I went and talked to some Democratic folks on the Hill and said, why hasn't this happened before? And everyone basically threw up their hands and said, it should have happened. There just wasn't enough momentum. There wasn't enough urgency to get it done. There really isn't some constituent group that has argued fiercely against telehealth, though there are some healthcare providers and other groups that have worried about cannibalization, is my understanding. The difference with this crisis is we are entering such an uncertain period for the delivery of healthcare. People still need it. It doesn't go away because of an economic downturn. It only goes up in the middle of a healthcare crisis. And to keep delivering services at this time means becoming more flexible, means putting providers into different situations. And whether that's enhancing the role of pharmacists who might be doing more testing now of COVID patients or figuring out how businesses can have rapid testing on site for coronavirus, telehealth as a tool, not just for patients, but for doctors who want to be able to see their patients too, it does seem like a change that's going to be woven into the health system for years to come. I'll just add, there isn't really outright opposition to telehealth in Congress, but there are people that are concerned that telehealth could increase utilization. And there's this idea that if you make telehealth, if you make healthcare easier to access by letting people get it on their phones, are they going to start going to the doctor more? Are they going to drive up costs? And I think that's been kind of a perennial concern when it comes to Medicare's coverage. You don't really see anyone saying telehealth is a bad idea, but I think there's concern in Congress that if you start covering this more broadly, you're going to increase spending. So any opposition I've seen has really been, you know, how do we make sure that this is safe, that this is good quality, and that it's not going to increase costs? And, and Mohana, are there going to be efforts to charge, say, seniors who call up their doctors and just have a quick question? Say they want to get on the phone for five minutes. Is that going to be billed now? So that's part of the question. Um, that's part of what CMS is assessing. And I think healthcare providers are trying to figure out 
whether it makes sense to charge the same amount for sort of a, a short visit or there's something called an e-visit or um, a phone consultation. And I think part of the, the policy work that needs to be done right now is to find out um, how do you reimburse for these things? How do you how do you value doctors time when they they do spend some of their time? They spell, spend time and energy answering messages on patient portals and emails and things like this. And um, does it cost the same as an in-person visit? And these are all little kinks that the healthcare system needs to work out before telehealth can really take hold. All right, that's our show for this week. I'm Dan Diamond, and my thanks to my colleagues, Mohana Ravindranath and Jeremy Siegel, for joining me. Our producers are Annie Reese and Jeremy Siegel. Jenny Ament is our senior producer, and Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. Subscribe to Politico Pulse Check on your favorite podcast app. And you can help us by leaving a rating or review that will help a new listener find the show. You can follow Politico's coverage of the coronavirus in the Politico Nightly Newsletter every evening or Politico Pulse, which comes out every morning and tees up the day's events. And if you want to read more of Mohana's coverage of telehealth during the pandemic, you can find that in the latest edition of our new Politico newsletter. It's called Future Pulse, and it explores the rapidly changing world of healthcare and technology. You can sign up for any of those newsletters at politico.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll be back again with you next week for what I think could be a pretty good conversation. 